Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you are. Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant. For times in 2023, Tim Taranto was the top scoring player in a number of formats. But for some reason, nobody's talking about him this preseason. The good news is it's all about to change on this episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Joining me as we talk about Double T, it's one of his tiger namesakes that he loves to talk about, his guys from Punt Road. Rids, it's good to have you back on the podcast and talking about a guy that really was a sensational pick for us last year as a mid-forward. Now, just midfield only. Yeah, he was an absolute ripper. But he actually exceeded, I think, what everyone expected as we went into last year. I mean, some of those numbers, especially like up to the bye, wow-wee. He was almost a perma-captain option across the formats at one stage. Especially in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. You left the captaincy on him from round one probably right up through to the buys. You never really considered needing to take that off. If we dive into some of what he did for us last year and what he's priced at heading into 2024, he averaged 106.6 last year in Supercoach, 13 tons and a season and career high score of 147 in that format. He's less than $5,000 off 600K. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, he's priced at over a million dollars in both those formats. That's coming off the back of an average of 112.3, 17 tons from these 23 games. You want to talk about conversion of games to hundreds? He's one of, if not the best we got in these formats last year. A season high score of 147 and a career high score of 156. And Rids, over the past couple of years, we've been talking about Tim Taranto and his fantasy potential for years when he was at GWS. It was if he gets the midfield minutes, if he's not having to rest forward, if they're not trying to fit 17 guys through that midfield. And as you mentioned just a moment ago, not only did he deliver on expectations, I believe like you, he far exceeded. He was one of the picks that if you didn't start with him last year across the formats, he left you in your wake very, very quickly. Yeah, exactly. And not only did he have a great fantasy year, he had a great year of football, really. Like, I mean, he won the Jack Dwyer medal for the best of Harris at Richmond. He was an absolute gun recruit. I know there's been a lot of commentary, like we had the Kane Corns, yes, last year, saying like, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is, the guy actually lived up to expectations. And not only did he live up to them, he exceeded everyone's expectations. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in captain of um, discussions at the club, you know, in the next year or two, to be honest. It really wouldn't surprise me either. Last year, top 10 in the league for total disposals, total tackles, total clearances, and total stoppage clearances. So he has no problem getting to the football, winning the football, farming it out in those challenging environments. And then if he doesn't win it, applying the defensive pressure he needs. And then top 20 in the league for total contested possessions, total centre clearances and total handballs. Even without looking at the fantasy elements, if he's in and around the ball, he's either winning it or preventing the opposition from getting it. But geez, MJ, 
I mean, we've just talked him up as if he's an absolute gun, which he is. Mm-hmm. We got a lot to break down in this episode, mate. <laughs> 2024, how are you doing with the draw, with the like the everything to change a coach? We got a lot of question marks around the place. We should start breaking it down, mate. All right. Well, let's do that. Last year, he finished eighth in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team by average, uh, average more than Tom Green, more than Andy Brayshaw, more than Rory Laird, more than Caleb Sarong, and top five for total points. Only Bont, English, Marshall, Dawson, and Goulden um, had more than him. So he's right up there with those guys in Supercoach. Top 30 averages for all players in that format, just outside the top 20 for mids, and ranked 16th for total points. If we want to break down this season a little more and then start to unpack this 2024 season, an average of 112.3 in AFL Fantasy, 17 tons, nine of them over 120, just the two sub-80 scores while in Supercoach, 106.6 seasonal average, 13 tons, five of them over 120, and just the three scores all coming at the back end of the year under 80. But there was a couple of things that really took place mid-season that I'm keen to unpack, even before we look at what Adam Uze will do for this team, is how you view Tim Taranto coming into 2024 really kind of comes under a couple of core areas, Ritz. Is it the pre-buy number or the post-buy number that you choose to believe about Taranto? Is it the under Damien Hardwick coach time or under the mini coach time? Which do you believe is the true Tim Taranto? Because depending on which you believe about those narratives tells you Taranto's a fade or he offers significant value despite being priced incredibly high in the formats. Yeah, so there's going to be another little before and after as well that we're going to include in the next couple of minutes. And that's going to include one of his teammates that might have come across from GWS at the same time with a hop-up, without a hop-up. So, and I mean, we could do this all day, yeah? There's a lot of narratives we could be pushing, but the thing is, we don't want to push a narrative on this one. This one is very clear. You just look at the numbers, you throw the questions out there, and everyone has to actually break it down and see what their risk appetite is for Taranto, and then look at round zero and decide from there, do I trust that narrative? Is he a fade? Because I can tell you now, mate, if he goes 140 in round zero and you thought he was a fade, that's a very, very tough like change of mind because you've convinced yourself over the past 10 weeks that he is a fade. Now, if you go in there and you go, well, I'm going to keep an open mind, I'm just going to remove the player's name. Yeah. It might be Taranto. It might be whoever else around that mark. doesn't matter, Okay. I'm just going to remove the name. I'm just going to have a player at that price point as an example, for instance. And then you just allow round zero to come into you and you just work out, can I trust someone that's played round zero or am I better off backing someone that hasn't played round zero that's going to have their first? And again, what a challenge, mate, trying to work that one out opening round and what we do, there'll be plenty of strategy elements we'll discuss right throughout the preseason. And right towards the end of this episode, I've got a big opening round question that Rids, I want to throw to you that might be against the popular community narrative of how we should approach opening round. So I'm keen to get your thoughts, but 
Pre-buy in AF and DT, Taranto goes 124. Post-buy goes 93. Pre-buy in Supercoach goes 119. Post-buy goes 87. In wins and losses, he's pretty much negligible uh, across the formats. I wouldn't be too concerned about a win-loss percentage. But there's the under-dimmer and then there's the under-mini conversation. So he got two coaches last year. Under-dimmer, he goes at 119.5 in fantasy. He goes at 115 in Supercoach. Under-mini McWalter, a little fade, 106.8 in fantasy and a pretty much a flatline 100 in Supercoach. But the first four games, that gap between dream time at the G, the buy coming at Richmond and Mini just letting the Tigers play. He goes at 137.75 in AF and DT and 130.5 in Supercoach. There was a lot that changed at Richmond in that four-week period, Rids. I know you're a Tigers fan. It was almost like the club found its love of football again and then post-buy, the mindset changed within the club that maybe we need to change because this could be our future coaching play. And I've only just mentioned his name a minute ago, but Hopper didn't play in any of those games. Okay, so whatever you think that means, that's fine. Make up your own mind, Rodeo. But the fact that Mini has taken over, it was just a surprise, you know, coaching resignation by Dimbar somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's pretty much pulled the pin after the Essendon loss where he deemed that he wasn't actually he's out of contention for finals. So there's no good to go keep pushing on. So he's sort of thrown it up. So Mini then takes over. And he says, okay, I'll be the caretaker coach. So this is where my fan brain was working. So I removed the fantasy stuff. So Minnie's like, you know what? I can't impact this team with anything new. So I just got to keep going the way it was. So he just played the dimmer style until the buy. And then what happened at the buy was, Minnie's probably not even thinking he's a chance to get the job at this stage, MJ, because it's all such a whirlwind at the moment. So what happens is the buy comes around. Richmond then select a coaching panel to go select a new coach. And they go, hey, Mr. Minnie, we want you to come and advertise and apply for this one, okay? So he then goes in and he goes, you know what? My mindset has to change. Two weeks ago, I had... I wasn't even aware I was ever going to be here. I have no ambition. I've got nothing to gain out of this. Right now, I actually have everything to gain. I could be a head coach of a senior team, you know, if I do well enough over the next period of time. So there's that. We've got a whole heap of other stuff all over the page. So long story short, we got so much variables here. We don't know whether any of them, actually matter if they're real we don't know we have no idea yeah but the fact of the matter is hopper returns after the buy straight away because of that lead up into the buy everyone's got toronto as their number one captaincy option moving forward okay hopper returns you know he punches out 100 in super coach for the rest of the year hmm. That's in every game, mate. He punches out three in Dream Team and Supercoach, but they're none of the ceilings we've we've grown accustomed to, Rodeo, the 130s, the 140s. I mean, you can only have a look at that Port Adelaide game in round 11, 145 in Dream Team um, AF and 147 in Supercoach. 
We don't have those ceilings anymore. They just disappear. Why? It could be anything. It could be a lot of everything. But guess what? We don't know. It's a lot of guesswork to try and work through all of that. So the stats are pretty, pretty simple, yeah? The game's with Hopper. One to nine, he averaged 120. Without Hopper, from one to nine, he averaged 111. So there's not much difference there because mm. Dimmer was around. After round 10, though, in Dream Team and Super, um, Dream Team and AF, he went at 92, you know, with Hopper. But without Hopper, he went at 128.5. In AF now, and DT, yeah. highly, highly weighted because of that stretch of games that we just talked about pre-buy. Mm. Yeah. It is ridiculous, okay? Super coach. It's not as huge, but after round 10 with Hopper, without Hopper. We're talking 85 with Hopper after round 10. We're talking 122 without Hopper. That is significant. We're talking 35 points of difference, mate. It's now, I know that. I know that we... Like everyone knows it. Yeah, it's no secret. Toronto's clangers, the efficiency with his kicking. Like it's all been questionable. Yeah. Kane Corns brought it to the table last year. This is not a secret. That's what impacts him in super coach because the guy can find the ball. There's no problems about that. Now, when I broke down the fact of the MCG as well, it Mm. didn't really make much difference. But the reason why I looked at that was because of his draw this year, MJ. Mm. He goes Suns at Gold Coast. Now, I just want to call this out as well in round zero. It's the game. It's at uh, afternoon time zone of 4.20 p.m. So it's not at that night time that we all worry about where there's slipperier conditions and humidities all through the roof and everything else. But it is at that cooler Maybe the back half of the game, yeah. So it's actually going to really be decisive on round zero. If he has a monster score, we have to open it up because he goes MCG, 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 MCG after Norwood and then the Eagles away. Mm. Pretty much he's got five of the first. uh, He's got one, two, three, four, five. Yes, five of the first seven of his games in 2024 at the MCG. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to highlight those breakdowns at the MCG because it's really, really clear that the guy's a gun. He went at 117 for Dream Team and AF at the MCG last year. He goes okay, doesn't he? There's a couple of things... I'm keen on you as we as we move forward because so much is unknown about Richmond this year. And there's two things Richmond-specific I want to get your take on, and then one is coming back to this opening round because you've been laying this thought work for us a little bit of what happens if opening round he returns that monster. I want to get to that in a moment. But the two unknowns about Richmond are the Adam Uze effect, what is this game style structure, and then the second thing linked to that is who are the playmakers in and around this midfield mix? The reason I want to bring up Uze is because at his previous team where he was a senior assistant coach at Melbourne, it's well known within the AFL industry that he was a key driver of the game style and the strategy of how Melbourne went and played. The reason I bring that up is there's 
arguably some parallels of game style of Tim to a Clayton Oliver. That there's enough there. And could Tim play the Clayton Oliver role that we saw happen at Melbourne? Because if he did, the past three years, Clayton's gone 108, 112, and 113 in AF and DT. And he's had three years of 120 plus in Supercoach, 123, 127, 120. So yes, they're not the same players, but there's enough parallels to be there. Do you see this potentially unfolding for us, Rids? I know it's just a lot of estimation and guesswork until we see and hear more in January, February, and March. Could we see some parallels of scoring and role of what we've had Clayton Oliver do to what Tim Taranto could be under the Adamuze regime? So I think it's a very, very interesting discussion point because if we look at Melbourne and we look at Richmond, Pretty much you could argue that Melbourne's contending, okay, over the last three years. Richmond right now, people have pretty much predicted to be the bottom four, six teams of the comp. So they're not going to have that aspect as well. But I think it's more around personnel. As Melbourne has been in that pocket of contending for a few years now, but really, if you look at Melbourne, it's really clary or Traka, or no one. Because really, Viney's just a contested beast inside. Yeah, he's a gun footballer, but there's no one like that. Look at Richmond, though. We've got Shea Bolton. We've got mm. Dustin Martin. we got Jacob Hopper. we got Dion Prestia. There is potential here that whatever Uze thinks is going to drive and impact Toronto. So... There is a world here, MJ, and I just want to quickly throw this out as well. There is a world that Taranto is going to become a forward at some stage if Uze believes that Richmond's better served with that dynamic Shea Bolton in the midfield because that's a like-for-like swap pretty much. Like if he thinks, you know what, Dusty's getting the ball a lot more. I like his efficiency with his kicking, his decision-making moving forward, going into 50. And I like Taranto at the end of that. Again, that's very viable. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. This is, again, what we're talking about here, though. Let's break it down properly and let's just say <laughs> it's a guess, yeah? We're yeah. guessing. We're absolutely making up a discussion here, running on what ifs. None of this is factual, mate. Not one thing. We don't know until it actually becomes actual in hindsight. It is impossible to know where this goes. So that's the element of risk you get if you're going to go a Taranto. That's why I said to you the other the other week when we did the um, breakdown on Guthrie. Yes. I said to you, we don't want guys who are unique, who have these question marks around them, because if they don't go well, that means you're the only one impacted or the coaches to have them. 
it's like you'd rather have someone be popular and not go well than be unique and not go well. Okay, so this is going to drive this. So that's why round zero becomes that really interesting melting pot. It certainly does. He's in 3.4% of AFL fantasy teams right now. Dream Team and Supercoach have the team pickers. That data is not readily publicly available for us. But talking about unique, I, I definitely believe he's going to sit in a similar level of low ownership. Let's unpack this opening round before we wrap up the episode. You've mentioned a few times what happens if he goes well. Let's run that thought, thought gauntlet that he comes out with a 120 plus across the point. Cause I think the reality is if he goes even a ton or a 105 or a 90 or anything in that territory, people are like, no interest. Don't worry. But players that play opening round will have a buy round somewhere in the next five to six weeks for Richmond. It's at round six. So he will be available in round one, two, three, four, five, and then he rests, meaning he will get that potential accelerated price movement, both high or low, that is loaded into opening rounds. So let's say he goes, let's pick a score, 130, just across the formats. Two questions for you. One, what would that do to your increasing or decreasing desire to pick him? And then the second question underneath that is, can we actually start premiums that have an opening round matchup and a buy in the first six weeks of the year? Okay, first things first, let's make it just Toronto for now. If he scores 130 plus, which is a monster score, Huge. it decreases my interest in him, in selecting him, only because he will increase others' interest. So I'm moving the risk onto those teams, not my own. Okay, so I won't invest there. I won't even go near him because the same question marks we got right now that we just called out will still exist after Brown Zero. The main problem you got is you're not getting those points. And unfortunately, he's priced at 112 in AF and DT. And he, you're just not going to get that value that's required. More general discussion around premiums hmm. the only premiums i would consider for round zero is anyone that i consider has 10 points of value has 10 points of upside across it because at the end of the day why would you go there anyway because you can miss in that one game of football when they have the early buy so Either you have a plan to sideways or through it, but that means you're going to miss someone else that's very important. It's the guys like Walsh, Kitty Coleman, and so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm not sure whether they'll appear at some stage or not in the 50, but we'll have those discussions anyway as we move into 2024. Like, they're the ones that I go, you know what? Walsh is 95, priced at 95. I can see him going 105. Yeah, why not? Like, why wouldn't you jump on that one? Taranto at 112, unless I see him going 125, like Dane Swan or a Tom Rockliffe or Tom Mitchell in years gone by, there's just no benefit because you're just going to lose those points in round six, mate, and you're likely going to have to have a rookie fielded to take his spot for those. So you might lose up to 70 points, like potential if you're playing rookie roulette yeah it's going to make it harder 
I suppose the, the flip side people might choose to look at is it's only best 18, that rookie score doesn't count, albeit I'm out of a premium. And now I've got the premium everybody wants. That might be the thought process some have. Talk me through, not talking someone out of that ideology, no, no, no. Let's have a look at that stay in that space for a minute of Toronto does that 125 over the first five, six weeks. I've now got the premium midfielder everybody wants. And the cow coming on field, it doesn't matter because of how I'm only on best 18. Could this be a way of playing the games? It could be. But I think there's another point that I was just going to mention. By having one of these guys that becomes a red dot for that buy round, you can actually loop. You can use them as your loop option, whether you want to do that from a rookie to a rookie with a bench option, whether you want to do it for VC to see there's a lot of dynamics in this okay so they shouldn't be just disregarded because they are going to be actually useful and we saw last year mj in round one where chandler came out and popped 100 yeah. you could actually make up those like if you could have the ability to loop chandler onto your field and pick up that score instead of the 30 or 40 from the highly owned other rookie that's on field for others because they don't have that option of the red dot loophole, then that's very viable as well, yeah? So there's actually more dynamics again that we have to consider. Rolling lockout. It's huge. You might go, you know what? I've got um, a guy that I think's got a huge ceiling that I want to put the VC on early, and he's got an early game in that round that he has misses suddenly you've got a captaincy loophole and at times you can pick up 50 points just on a captain loophole option. If your VC goes 150, how many times last year did we see the Tim Englishes, especially early with the VC? And if you didn't have it on him, then you were missing 30, 40, 50 points. And as the year goes on, that's a lot of points. Yeah. It's a huge amount of points. Like the example of who you might be alluding to is the, Dockers play the Eagles in that round six week that Tim Taranto is playing through there. So you go, you know what? That's what I'll do. The VCs on a brace or a sarong, whatever it is, I'll bank that. And if I need to, as a Taranto type owner and spend a trade, I'll go and trade into with North Melbourne and the Hawks at the end of the round. I'll go get the LDU. I wanted him anyway. Now's an excuse. Will Day is on an absolute terror. John Newcomb. You know, there's so many different things. So you're right. It's not just the don't get premiums that are there. Have the conversation and consideration. So often in the community, we hear a thought process that makes sense. And it absolutely does to not pick a premium without any upside in these first six weeks. However, this is what we need to do because no one's ever done this many multi-buy rounds in clumps at the start of the year. Consider, ponder, see what it could look like, see the avenues that it might make up for us because if you find something that nobody else does and others are heading a popular pathway and it doesn't work, all of a sudden you set yourself up for success rates. So I just want to highlight one thing. And now this isn't about Taranto. This no. is more a general strategy. Strategy now, yes. Sam Walsh right now has been the talk of the town. Do we start him? Don't we start him? You know what no one has actually done at this point in time? Is considered the matchups for round two when he has his bye. The first matchup, mate, is St. Kilda playing Collingwood on the Friday night. Or the Thursday night at that stage, Sorry. 
why wouldn't you explore? Like they cost, like St Kilda at times last year had monster, let in monster points for defenders. Why wouldn't you go, you know what? I could actually VC Dacos in a friendlier, like at this point in time, we're going off 27, 2023 data. So sure. who knows what 2024 is? But this is all hypotheticals, yeah? Why why can't I go in and put the VC on Dacos? And guess what? You've got a red, a red dot in Sam Walsh that you can actually put the C on. Like if he pops... Wow, we mate, you're not only ahead of the pack because everyone's going to go trade into Walsh the next week, but you're ahead of the pack because you've got a VC option straight away that you're actually happy to take. And again, a lot of, you know, I've taken it, I've been really um bit funny with it, okay? But that's the sort of discussions we actually need to start looking at. Not just, oh, does someone have a buy round? Yes, they do. Oh, okay. No worries. Well, I'm just going to rule them out straight away. Guess what? Sometimes a guy, yep. Sometimes a guy who misses one week of a suspension, Tom Green last year, Mm. he got suspended last year, missed a week, came back, and then was pretty much the best midfielder for the next, you know, period of time after. Yeah. And including, I think it was 170 or something from memory. There's a big game in there for sure. Yeah, so why would you not explore every possibility? I'm just not going to say no, but my gauge for myself is having that little bit of a cutoff. I want value for 10 points because that way then you can sort of hedge your bets a little bit, yeah? You can go, ah, well, I've made a bit of money. I can then sideways to the premium of choice at that particular time and then you can move forward if someone gets injured you've got cash in there but that's the interesting discussion that i have not seen anything about well hopefully that's what you get from the coaches panel is providing both sides of the coin with a conversation not just telling you what you should do but ultimately providing with you all the angles of information giving you perspectives for both and then giving you the information to make an informed decision Taranto is going to be someone you're going to want to watch deeply and this Richmond game style and who's there because is there a world where he's got that 10 points per game of value that Rids has said? Absolutely there is based under those early games of mini, based under what he did before his buy and based under what Clayton Oliver has done at Melbourne. If Uze is bringing some transferable game style, there's your 10 points of game value on it right there. Equally, He's the kind of guy you might go, you know what? I want to see it for four, five, six weeks. He's pretty heavily priced. I'll trade into him after the buy, knowing whether or not he's in contention for DPP and all of a sudden could be one of the best forwards giving the likely low threshold it seems we have forwards at the moment because all it could take is an injury, pops back into the mids, and all of a sudden you've got this guy that can dominate. He's a fascinating guy to consider in classic But equally in drafts, Rids, I'm really keen on your take here. What people do with their early strategies around draft, specifically linked to what draft position they have, and ultimately a number of coaches, positions on field, all these variables impact what and how you approach your draft day strategy. Where do you see him going? And if you were going to pick a Tim Taranto, 
What's the sort of strategy you should be looking to have in and around where and how you pick him up? Okay, so when I did the rankings a couple of weeks ago, I ranked Taranto as an M1, okay, across DT and DT and AF. Yeah, yep. 100%. And I had him at an average of somewhere between 100 to 120 because of the questions we've raised. Now, if he's 100, though, he becomes the number one forward likely at some point through the year as well. Because really, if he's around the ball, he's going to average, mate. He's going to score. So there's no questions about that. But the biggest thing that I came across was the four big dog rucks. Okay. I think there's four now. We were talking about it last year and, you know, we keep saying rucks, but the fact of the matter is Gorn and Grundy are now sole rucks for their clubs. So they join Marshall in English as the four big rucks. We were talking about the four or five big forward dogs last year. It's now the four big ruck dogs, pretty much, in a draft perspective. So what happens then, though, is it's really the pick you get in the first round that drives your decision on what you're going to do. Because if you can get one of those four big ruck dogs, okay, and that means Taranto is going to be there as your M1 on round two with your next selection – That's a very, very solid first two picks, mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you'd think that, you know, guys like Zachy Merritt, you'd think that guys like even Andrew Brayshaw, probably Laird, maybe Dawson, you know, a couple of others would go before Taranto if it was just a mid In A and DT for sure. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Bontempelli across the board would be almost the standout number one. Um, mid, if yep. you were just going to do that. And yep. that's with Supercoach and AF and DT, sure. okay? So that's where I landed with this one because it's such an interesting year for mids in drafts. Yeah, how people structure and strategy it up, I'm keen. I've probably got an M3 in Supercoach priced, you know, based on his seasonal average last year in that sort of 25 to sort of mid so that's putting him at m3 which means again depending on how big you go on those early rucks what you do with those couple of top end defenders and how comfortable you are to take a forward inside the first five rounds those variables might see him push out to a fifth or a sixth round selection but for me i've got him m3 and i'm with you m1 and your drafting position on that first round ultimately dictates a lot of your strategy and who you pick first, who you handcuff with. Because with draft, each pick needs to protect and support the next pick. Um, So look at it wholeheartedly. I really like that advice, Ritz. And I think the other thing with drafts, mate, that we we always say that someone's going to average 10 points, you know, next to the next best player in their line. But in reality, though, I can't see anyone getting within 10 points of a day cost in the defensive lines. Yep. So that's the extra variable. So does that push day cost into the number one discussion overall? Sure. Or does that actually mean he still falls behind the English types? So this year, really, we've got those big guys there. And then in the mids, we've got a blanket over about 20 guys in my eyes. Like yeah, across any the one of these guys could go pop. Yeah. Oliver 
could go pop. Laird Anything. could go pop. Dawson could go pop. You know, Brayshaw, Sorong. Golden. It just doesn't LDU. stop. So many of these great options and draft. That's the beauty of being able to play multiple games. It gives you opportunities to try different things and strategies. I love that. Hey, Rids, it's been a pleasure to have you back yet again on the podcast talking about Tim Taranto. As always, a pleasure, mate. Easy. Uh, if you want to go and check out the article on this episode, it is available for you with, alongside all the other players of the 50 most relevant right now at coachespanel.tv, wherever you're checking out this audio or video episode. The good news is we have got a ton of other episodes already available for you of the 50 most relevant. They're available wherever you're getting this episode. Go back, subscribe, follow, get those notifications on. So as soon as another episode of the 50 most relevant comes, which is tomorrow, by the way, you'll be able to check that out. In about 30 seconds time, I've got a clue for you about who's coming next in the 50 most relevant. Let's see who you can guess who it is, but make sure you're following across all the social media handles, all the details of where you can find us and join the discussion with the community you can find in the description of this video. And if you are loving the content you're getting from the coaches panel this preseason, I'd encourage you to support us in a couple of different ways. One, leave a five-star rating and review wherever you're getting this audio podcast from or become a Patreon for just a few dollars a month. There's some additional bonus content, hidden groups, extra articles and podcasts that do come right throughout the preseason. If you become a breakout or a premium tier supporter, one of those rewards you get is you get the audio podcast the day ahead. So they already know who the clue's about. They're already there. They're literally the equivalent of an Australian talking to American. They know what's coming hours ahead of you. So if you want to do that, all the details for that also in the description of this episode. All right, who's coming up next for us? Here's your first clue. It's the first defender of the 50 most relevant. We've been heavy on the value mids and heavy on the forwards. Our first defender. Back in 2022, he gave us his career high scores. He's already got a ton for us in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. He's already posted a score over 130 in Supercoach. He comes in at significant value for us, and he's shown this guy can score. There's some talk that he might even have a really fantasy-friendly role for us in a team that over the past few years has given us multiple premiums in multiple lines. Who is this value defender that I'm talking about? You will find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant. Yeah.